We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and I'm joined today by Michael Fachi Fachi. What a win last night for the Indiana Pacers on New Year's Eve, taking down Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and the Clippers 131 to 130. I couldn't think of a better way to close out 2022 than getting revenge over the Clippers, but not just the Clippers, a healthy Clippers team led by Paul George, and, and you know it meant something to PG because he he was going off yesterday, but in the end, the Pacers got what mattered most, and the, that's the W. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and maybe we can get into this a little bit later, but obviously Paul George was booed during introductions. The very first time he touches the ball on offense, he's booed, and it kind of went through most of the entire game. I think the fans kind of cooled off towards the end of the game as they were getting into it with it being so close and, and so much back and forth, but I was laughing. He hit that first three, and he quietly turned to the crowd and put the shush sign up. And um, I said, oh, boy, we're in for a good one. I know Paul George always takes a personal when he comes back to Indianapolis, and I, I thought he played great, obviously. But at the end of the day, Fachi, like you said, he took that L with him, and uh, as great as he played, because the Pacers, once again, came out in the fourth quarter and just found a way to get it done. And it was all thanks to Tyrese Halliburton, who scored 18 of his 24 points in the fourth quarter. Talk about a closer, Fachi. I mean, the Pacers, they were playing pretty good the whole game, got out you know, to a hot start. Buddy Hill had like 12 points in the first quarter. But then when it got close, that third quarter, it was just back and forth with Kawhi and Paul taking turns abusing the Pacers. And Halliburton really had to step up, and I was just – incredibly impressed with his will to win and how he was able to get it done on that end of the court 
this game had a little bit of everything. Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, there was a lot of lead changes tied up at 93 apiece going into the fourth quarter. Halliburton, you talked about the 18 in the fourth, but he scored 13 of the Pacers' final 15 points. Most of all that damage came with about four minutes uh, and under in the game. I mean, just truly closing out the Clippers. I mean, hitting big free throws. He he set the tone. He is the franchise. And right now, I mean, he's putting this team on his back. And there was a lot to like outside of Tyrese Halliburton. But 24 points to 10 rebounds. That uh, I mean, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, 4 steals. I mean, that's what a franchise player does. But also, Miles Turner was huge in this game. Oh, yeah. 34 points, 11 of 17 from the field, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, and two and ones. I mean, just that that photo of him, like, screaming basically, like, right in Paul George's face, <laughs> that is, like, an, an iconic photo. I know iconic sounds like a lot, but that image just felt like probably the coolest Pacers image of the year, and there's been a, a lot of cool ones. So it's got some stiff competition, but what a photo. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to get some miles in this podcast. I just want to start off with Halliburton in his fourth quarter closing of the game because the Pacers don't get this W if, if Tyrese doesn't go off. They and, do not. Uh, Worldwide Wob put out this tweet. He said, from eight minutes and seven seconds uh, timeout until the game end ended, here was what happened for the Pacers on their scoring plays. Halliburton two, Halliburton three, Turner two, Halliburton assist Denise Smith for two, Turner two plus one, so and one. Halliburton free throw, Halliburton free throw, Halliburton three, Halliburton two, Halliburton two. And then you got three Halliburton free throws, two Turner free throws, and then close it out with a Halliburton free throw. So right there, I, I said a lot of stuff there, but you heard Halliburton, 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 Turner. It was those two that closed that game for them. I thought it was going to be tough. I really did in that third quarter because the Clippers started coming. Paul George was good the entire game. Kawhi Leonard, I think he had 19 points or something like that in the third quarter, Fachi. And I felt bad because the Pacers were putting Andrew Nimhart on him. Kawhi Leonard is so much bigger than Andrew Nimhart. I mean, just look at oh, Kawhi's okay. calves and Kawhi's arms compared to Nimhart. I mean, I thought Nimhart played pretty uh, pretty well against him for as well as he could play against him. And I thought in the fourth quarter he did a better job on him. And I thought the Pacers did a good job of trying to force double teams to get the ball out of their hands and make other guys shoot. So, yes, I, I will say tough one-on-one -on -one matchup. Aaron Neesmith ended up fouling out. He was guarding Paul George the majority of the game. That's a tough task for anybody. So, you know, it was a really good win. And I think there was contributions all throughout the board. But like you said, you know, Halliburton's fourth quarter was awesome. But Miles Turner... He set the tone, and like he put out on Twitter, uh, he he remembered what Zubach did to him in the Clippers arena, and he came back and got his revenge because Zubach was pretty quiet in that game. The three rebounds by Turner is the furthest thing from telling the story because he really took it personally to be boxing out, keeping Zubach off the glass, a guy that had uh, basically a historic performance against the Pacers last time we had I believe it was uh, 31 points and 29 rebounds, yeah. I, I believe it was. This game, I mean, you would have thought he was just some ordinary player with six points and seven rebounds. Yeah. I mean, this was this was an effort that the Pacers did not forget because we talked about it. That Clippers performance last time when the Pacers lost, it was downright embarrassing. In that game, the Pacers just – they got stifled. They got crushed on the rebounds. 
Uh, they got crushed at the free throw line. I mean, just everybody. And that, that was a game without Paul George and without Kawhi Leonard. So last time, just throwing out some key stats, uh, pitchers were out-rebounded by 23. All right? They were they were right in on the glass this time. Uh, the, the Clippers outscored the Pacers in the paint by 18 last time. This time, the Pacers outscored the Clippers by 18. I mean, last time we shot 38%, this time 52%. This overall was a great team effort of playing up to the competition instead of last time when the Pacers overlooked uh, a Clippers team that was not healthy. So this was a true statement win in front of a great crowd. And Alex, you were part of that crowd. I mean, tell us a little bit of what yeah. that atmosphere was like. I tell you what, I haven't cheered that much in a long time, Fachi. Usually That's when awesome. I go to games, I'm pretty chill. I just kind of enjoy it. But, you know, I, I was really getting into this game. I don't know if the fans were, were getting me hyped up, just everybody getting so excited. But, you know, you had your fair share of Clippers fans there. And, you know, a lot of people still like Paul George. A lot of them were excited. But a lot of people hate Paul George, too. So you could feel the animosity in the arena. Definitely felt like a playoff experience. I looked... Pacers did not have a sellout, but it was at 93%. So it was pretty much a sellout for the most part, and it felt like it. I think Rick Carlisle said in the post-game press conference that the crowd was so energetic that he thinks that the energy from the crowd forced Marcus Morris to miss that three that he hit uh, that he missed that he took right before to try to give them the lead, the Clippers a lead. So I, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I would rather have Marcus Morris taking that shot than Paul or Kawhi, so – it, it worked out. The Pacers' defensive, you know, priority ended up working out where Morris got the shot instead of one of the two guys that have been killing it. But, yeah, I really just felt like the energy was incredible. Tyrese was asking the crowd to get into it. The beginning of the fourth quarter was when I think things really flipped, when McConnell had that steal and then that offensive foul on the Clippers where McConnell was, you know, playing defense and they pushed off to get the ball and they called a foul. It's like – those little moments like that, while it was only two points and an offensive foul on their team, I just McConnell's importance is huge to the crowd. He he is a fan favorite. Buddy Heald, honestly, I felt like the cheers for Buddy Heald when he got introduced were as loud as Tyrese Halliburton's cheers. That wow. might just be from where I was sitting, but that's what it felt like. I think the fan base has fallen in love with Buddy Heald, Flatchy, more than I think anybody expects or even realizes. I, I still can't believe what fans in Sacramento were saying about Buddy and like <laughs> trying to like really just muddy up his name. And he has been awesome. Yeah. A fan favorite. His teammates love him. I have not heard one bad thing about Buddy Heald since he's become a pacer. It's been awesome to watch. I'm having a blast. I mean, eight rebounds yesterday leads the team. And he's done that a few times. This is a guy who's known as strictly a three-point shooter. But every now and then, he's given you eight rebounds like he gave you last night against against uh, the Clippers. But Carl even said the atmosphere was, was, was unbelievable. He said the building was absolutely alive. Today was another opportunity to play a playoff caliber game during the regular season. And that's true. Talk about the Hawks game, the Cavs game, uh, this Clippers game. The crowd has been noticeable. It's It's been highlighted the last few games about just how awesome they've been. Now the Pacers have an opportunity to go 4-0 on their homestand when they play uh, Toronto on Monday, when you're probably listening to this. And that's just something that fans didn't expect. But right now, we're red hot. It's been a blast. And it's not just being relying on just one guy. 
This isn't like, hey, man, if Sabonis isn't going to give us, you know, 30 and 15, we stand no chance. It's that it feels like every other night someone's rising to the occasion, but you're also getting numerous guys giving you about 20 apiece. I mean, Turner, 34 in this game. Halliburton, 24. Uh, Buddy Heald, 18. Neesmith, 16. Halliburton, 15. I mean, uh, Matherin, 15. You're getting a balanced scoring load from five guys. It feels like, you know, that's that's hard to do in the NBA. I mentioned five guys. You also had Jalen Smith and TJ McConnell with nine apiece. You nearly yeah. had seven guys in double figures. It, that's that's winning basketball right there. Yeah, I mean, Halliburton really was being passive, it felt like, early on. And I think mm -hmm. because of the Clippers' defense and how long they are, it's, once again, we're seeing it can be more challenging for him. But I think at this point in his young career, especially this season, those experiences against the Jaden McDaniels and, you know, the different matchups out there that the, the Heat threw at him, seeing these really talented defenses pressure him, how he responds, it's always incredible to watch because he's such a he's such a he, an artist when when it comes to figuring out how to manufacture different ways to score, put the ball in the basket. And I think he's able to read defenses like none other. I think he can figure out two steps. He's two steps ahead of the defense most of the time. And getting to the foul line was huge for him. That's not something he ever really does. He's not really a, a foul magnet, but he was actively attacking the glass. The Pacers didn't settle for as many three-point shots in that stretch in the fourth quarter as they had been all game long because the threes weren't falling maybe as much as you'd like them to in that game. I mean, they, they started off really hot cooled off a little bit in that third quarter, so they had to kind of change some things a little bit there. But, yeah, I think it was – I thought it was great. And, you know, you talked about how everybody's been contributing. This month of December, Fachi, I put a tweet out with a whole entire thread of about 11 players that have really been in the rotation to kind of give you some idea of how they've been playing the last month. Pacers went 8-8 eight and eight in the month of December, which is super impressive. I think if anybody would have told you the Pacers went 500 with the schedule they had, you would take that not, uh, 10 out of 10 times. Very, very tough December schedule, especially coming off that big road trip. But Aaron Neesmith, Fachi, 11.6 points per game, four rebounds a game, 1.2 assists a game, and about a steal a game. Pretty average stats. But look at these percentages. 50.8% from the field, 39.7% from three, and 100% from the free throw line. I'm telling you what, I think if there's any player that impressed me the most, in the month of December, it was Aaron Neesmith. I'm right there with you. Look, Tyrese was extraordinary. Borderline player of the week at one point. I know he was nominated. I mean, put the league on notice. Everything that went in with the, you know, is he an all-star or is he an all-star starter? I mean, his, his play was superb. But Neesmith, I really do feel like was the X factor over here. I know mm -hmm. I labeled him that, you know, last time when we spoke, but He's had some big two-way performances. Like, think about this. Yeah, Paul George ended up with 45 points. But Neesmith took on that challenge, and you need someone to be able to take on that challenge. And I feel like he's growing defensively. And that, you know, even though he had to use all six fouls, it's like he's battling. And lately, he's had some pretty big fourth quarters. But just overall, this is a guy that took a huge step forward this year. And, and I don't think that he's done you know, developing his game. I think that this is the year that could change his whole career. And I love the opportunity that the Pacers found a buy low candidate, a guy who's still young, just 23 years old, former lottery pick, 
who has more to give and the Pacers are reaping the benefits from it. So the numbers that you, you know, uh, just read off before, they might not overly impress anyone. I know they're not all-star numbers, but those are winning basketball numbers right there that any team would love to have. If that's your fourth or fifth guy in your starting lineup, I think you're pretty happy with that. I think so. What's really interesting here, Fachi, Andrew Nimhard, he's shooting 35.7% from three, which is pretty average. But it's not bad. Like, I mean, if you have a guy out there that's shooting about 36%, you're like, okay, I at least have to, like, keep him honest, right? I know that he can at least knock him down. So the defense is going to respect it to a certain degree. Like I said with Neesmith, he's shooting almost 40%. Turner, 44% from three in the month of December. Halliburton, 45.7%, so pretty much 46%. And Buddy Heald. 51.5% 51.5% from three in the month of December. When your five starters are shooting at that high of a level, it's going to be hard to beat this team. And Benedict Matherin, as much as we love him and how you know good he was in November, he shot just 21.5% from three Fachi in the month of December. So he definitely took a step back this month, went through some struggles. But I think at the same time, while he's taking a step back, Aaron Neesmith has taken a step forward and it's kind of balanced it out where I still think Matherin is growing and being effective because he's still 14.7 points a game in the month of December. Pretty good. But I was just going to say with the way Neesmith has stepped up his game, it's kind of masked that hole right there because now you don't have to close every game with Matherin because of the way Neesmith has grown as a defender and as an offensive reliable threat. Absolutely. I I think that, Matherin got off to such a hot start and was shouldering such a load, you know, offensively that lately other guys, just to your point, they've stepped up where he hasn't needed to be the guy, you know, shooting the ball as much. I mean, his shot attempts are down a full, you know, two less shots compared to, you know, earlier in the season. And, you know, his scoring is down. The first month of October, he averaged 20 points per game. Then it was 18 and a half. Now it's 14.7 in the month of December. But it's been all right because – Guys like Neesmith were really struggling. I mean, Chris Duarte was out for a while. I mean, we, we've seen that. Uh, you know, we, we've seen a bunch of guys take take their game to the next level, and and that's fine because Matherin's already shown so much this year. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to continue to dip down. I think that those shooting percentages will even out. But for right now, man, the Pacers got a balanced team. And on any given night, it feels like anyone could give you 15 apiece. <laughs> and for some guys, that 15 would be below their scoring average. So, man, this, this is a, this is kind of that balanced effort that the Pacers tried to have in the past under Nate Bjorkman or Nate McMillan, where you got about five guys giving you 15 or so. And right now, it, it's working because it's winning basketball. Not five guys giving you 15 in a, in a losing effort. It's like... Like right now, we're catching fire against teams that we're not necessarily expected to beat. And one stat that really stood out to me that I want to share right now is I saw this. The most underdog wins in the NBA this year. Mm. The Pacers lead the league with 13. Wow. How about that? Man, that where did you find that stat? I uh Bally Sports tweet uh they had it out there. They was in a tweet, and I was like, ooh. I got to grab that. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Underdog. Because, yeah, the Pacers probably haven't been favored in a lot of these games. They I mean, not. you know, they're 20 and 17, which is just, it's just a surprise to me how well they've played. Currently, the sixth seed in the, in the Eastern Conference, which I think they were after their game against the Cavs as well. Right now, they'd be playing Milwaukee in a first round playoff matchup. So Oof. that's, 
we haven't seen Milwaukee yet. Milwaukee's yeah. not been playing great basketball, but you put Giannis, Drew, and Chris Middleton out on the floor, it's going to be a tough series no matter what. But, you know, aside from looking at the playoff stuff right now, it's way too early. I just got to say, Tyrese Halliburton, the month of December that he had, really has put him in trajectory to be a starter for the NBA All-Star game. I'm not even just saying that because he's the point guard of the team that I'm a fan of. I just think he's been fantastic. The Pacers have found themselves a true face of the franchise. And what I love so much about Tyrese is over and over again, it feels like he is taking over late in games. The Pacers, we've talked about this, have needed a guy to be the closer. Tyrese has taken that on. He is becoming the closer of this team. And one thing that I love about him is he only had six points, like I said, going into the fourth quarter. He was playing the game the right way, not forcing, trying to get others involved because that's what the defense was giving him. But then when he realized it was time to go and put this team on his back, he did that, and he started becoming that scorer. This is growth from Tyrese Halliburton from the beginning of this season to now. We are seeing a player evolving in front of us, Vachi, into an All-NBA type of player. And, I, and I'm not just saying this to say this. I really believe there's a good case you can make that Tyrese Halliburton is an All-NBA guy because of how well he passes, how well he takes over in games, and how he's led this Pacers team, like you said, that's supposed to be an underdog. It's supposed to be a terrible team to the sixth seed right now in the Eastern Conference. Got to be the front runner for most improved player of the year. Alex, this man's like a human Pokemon the way he's evolving. All right. We have not seen his final form. He, when he came on the show, he talked about, I, I think he said, I want to be a 20 and 10 guy. Okay, yeah. cool. Look, you can be a 20 and 10 guy, and that could either be really good or those stats might not translate to winning. His stats have such a direct fingerprint on winning for this Pacers team that it, it, it goes far past his averages. It's what you talked about earlier in the episode. He knows how to dissect a defense. There's no pass he can't make. When when it matters most, he's elevating his game. Just weeks ago, to your point, we were talking about this, this team doesn't have a closer. It's like a closer by rotation. Hey, uh, you know, give uh, give Nemhard a shot at the end of the game or give Turner a shot or give Halliburton. I mean, he showed with that game winner against the Heat, and, and ever since then, I mean, even the Celtics game and, and many others, he's had big performances in crunch time. And this is exactly why, coming into the year, we were like, the Pacers got to move Brogdon because you want this experience for Halliburton to be able to grow in the clutch, whether it's good or bad. If he misses the shot, okay, it's a learning experience. If he makes the shot, it's a confidence boost moving forward that I'm prepared to, to live and die by Halliburton when it matters most because he's our guy. And he's showing that right now. And he has to be the leader for most improved, but he really could be an all-star starter. He could be an all-NBA player. The sky is the limit for him, and no one can tell you that he can't be either of those things because he's been that good, and he's been such a treat to watch that now all of a sudden we're in a spot where, I want to be honest, I bought a Benedict Matherin jersey. I did. First, hey. words, out of my, first words out of my, my wife's mouth. Why didn't you get a Halliburton jersey? And then I started feeling bad about it. I really did. I went, wow, yeah, I don't know. But, like, that's how exciting it is right now to be a Pacer fan when you got numerous players that you're thinking, man, I really want to 
get that guy's jersey. And now I feel like I got to get another jersey just to get the Halliburton jersey. That's how much fun I'm having right now, and it's a great problem to have. <laughs> well, if your wife saves you any money, then you can go buy another one, Fachi. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, so I, I, before I move on, I, I, I want to say this. It was really, it's really cool to hear other people talk about your 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 favorite players, right? We we recently saw after the Heat game, Kevin Durant was tweeting about Tyrese Halliburton. There was a clutch points graphic about D'Angelo Russell talking about him, and now there was another one. Andrew Grief, who works for the LA Times, wrote this in the tweet. He said, eight days ago, John Wall was telling teammates in the locker room about Tyrese Halliburton's big stat line in Miami. Wall was clearly impressed. Then Halliburton exploded Saturday. The Clippers watching him go off right in front of them. So, first of all, it's really cool that John Wall, probably one of the better point guards of the 2010s, right, that that came into the league, and injuries kind of unfortunately derailed his career a little bit, and he's kind of worked his way back from that, getting overpaid by the Wizards and then getting traded to the Rockets for Westbrook and all that stuff. You know, he's he's playing a pretty, you know, unique role here with, with the Clippers, I, I think, at times. He's a little bit better than Reggie Jackson, but I think Reggie Jackson's probably a better defender at this point in his career. So he's coming off the bench. But for a guy like that to be talking about Halliburton in the Clippers locker room when they're not even playing the Pacers anytime soon, I mean, you know, to me, that was just really cool to hear that from him. And then for then Halliburton to kind of have the game that he had. So just uh, just a really special thing there, Fachi. But overall, this game, it, it had everything you wanted in it. It had the animosity between Paul George and the fans. It had the Zubac versus Turner stuff, the the rumors that went there, Kawhi's first game in in, the, in Indianapolis since 2017. I'm telling you, I mean, it was just everything you wanted. Buddy Heald uh, right in front of me. <laughs> I was sitting on the side where the where the Clippers bench is, Fachi, in the corner, and it almost looked like Terrence Mann was trying to mouth something to Buddy or kind of like stood up on the bench when Buddy shot a corner three there, and he almost like ran into Mann after he shot it, and so – Buddy said something and man kind of got annoyed. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, it's uh it's always fun. And, and the Clippers players on their bench when Paul George is hitting threes, Norm Powell after the Pacers got real excited, they chanted a defense chant. I think Paul George hit a three. He turned around to the crowd and told everybody to be quiet. I mean, it was just a very electric atmosphere. But the Pacers getting the W, I mean, it just makes you feel like this team is special, Flatchy. It, it's got a lot of 17-18 vibes to it, and I want to get onto something on another podcast, maybe in the future about that, but it is, uh, it's been a lot of fun to see despite what we expected coming into the season. Oh, there's great comparisons to that 2017, 2018 team. And that would be a fun episode to kind of compare what the expectations were for both of those squads coming into the year, some of the moves they made and how it ended up, you know, finishing out. But yeah, one other quote that Halbert had was, Losing, I think, is the best teacher. We struggled to uh, close games earlier in the year, and I think you need that. I think a young group needs uh, that kind of growth the right way. We're figuring it out every day. And that's exactly what I felt. It's like, look, even when it doesn't work out for this team, they're growing together. They're learning from it. And we're starting to see those exact examples. Think about this. That that loss to the Clippers last time was extremely disappointing. I remember we did an episode after it, and it was just the vibe was just – it was rough. Then you also talk about how the Pacers let that uh, game against Cleveland slip away on the 16th uh, of December. 
and then how they responded the next time they played Cleveland, the next time they played the Clippers. They're making those – the next time they played the Heat when Halliburton had one point the first time and next ends up going off in that game and hitting the game winner. It's like we're seeing them make these adjustments that in years past we didn't quite see. And this year that's very evident. And for a very young Pacers team like the one that we're seeing right now, it's – really impressive so i can't wait to see what's next because we are crossing alex we're, we're basically in the halfway point of the year now we're, we're getting there 37 yeah. games deep so the, the halfway point is 41 games and, and right now we are starting to learn a little bit more about this team and man we're starting to see more and more fans say let it rock don't <laughs> don't make too many changes let's just we're having a blast right now and the team's winning Man, it's it's getting harder and harder by the day. Yeah, and, and I said it last podcast, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I don't know how Kevin Pritchard breaks this core up. Maybe, maybe if you trade a guy on the bench, it's not doing much yeah. or somebody like that. But I don't see how they break the starting five up. And, and, and unless Miles Turner refuses to sign an extension, that's the only way I see him getting moved. I think if he wants to sign an extension – they're going to come to an agreement on one because he's fit so well with this team. He does. And that, and that doesn't mean that if they decide in a year or two later they want to move him at that point, they could do that as well. It just It'll be never-ending, right? But I'm just saying, right now, they're playing too collectively well together to break this up. But I want to bring this up as we wrap up this game because we had our guy, Rooster Fachi, rocking his Setting the Pace t-shirt yesterday Shout out to Rooster. Love it. Yes. During the St. Elmo's Shrimp Cocktail Eating Contest that they do frequently. I don't know how many times they do it per game or how, how often they do it at the at the field house. But he was there representing us. And I actually would look down on my phone for a second. My wife taps me on the arm and she goes, look, setting the pace t-shirt. I said, what? Look on the big screen. And there's our guy, Rooster. I said, okay. Amazing. Okay. This is awesome. Okay, Rooster, I, I've appreciated the support that you've been showing us with your shirt. So gets out there, and I'm thinking, oh, Rooster's about to win this competition. He's got the black setting the pay shirt on. It's just closing out the new year right. And what happens, Fachi? Rooster completely choked in that shrimp eating contest. Ah. I was disgusted with his performance. He ate him like he was like enjoying it and trying to make it last for the <laughs> entirety of the game. I said, get your face in there and get some shrimp. You are wearing a setting the pace t-shirt, and that's the kind of representation we're going to get for this. You were really <laughs> setting the pace, and that pace was turtle style, man. The young, the young man that won the contest actually threw up a, an entire shrimp piece as he was eating it because he was trying to win the contest because he actually, you know, cares about competition. Where my guy Rooster over here, while I love the shirt and the support, just completely laid an egg. I mean, he kind of casually said it on Twitter, but no, it was a pathetic performance from Rooster Fachi. Now, Rooster did tell me he didn't have the best performance. Here. Your, your, your description over there, you know, paints a different picture. But Rooster, <laughs> just want to say, definitely appreciate it. We actually made a a bet before the year where it looks like we're going to owe you. Uh, oh, we a already owe Fachi because uh, you already got your this, total win total. <laughs> I don't see this team slowing down, so we're definitely going to have a jersey coming your way. Uh, you know, by the end of the year. But uh, definitely uh, really, really appreciate your support and representing us at uh, the game. Alex yeah. sent me a screenshot of the Jumbotron, so I saw that. I was like, what? So I got to share that with a lot of people, and that's always cool to see. So, hey, if you guys ever attend a Pacers game and you're rocking your setting the pace shirt, please tag us in it. 
really just always want to be able to acknowledge how much I appreciate everybody that's representing the show, listening to the show, supporting in any which way. So, hey, Rooster, while you might not have won the contest, you definitely got my respect in the process. Yeah, I won't lie. You had the best shirt on in the contest. That's for that's for darn sure. And all I got to say is if you get another chance to get out there and redeem yourself, please don't let us down, okay? That's all I'm saying. You know, you, you come at us every time the Pacers win, letting us know that we were he wrong. does. So I'm just letting you know when you're wrong. That was a terrible effort on your part with the with the shrimp cocktail eating contest. Next time, maybe send your son or somebody up there because that was embarrassing. But um, anyway, Fachi, with that being said, I've uh, I've dug enough into Rooster's heart and soul right there to start the new year off. Let's talk about one of the most interesting rumors that came out yesterday about a guy in New York who you brought up on your trade targets list for the Indiana Pacers, Obi Toppin. Let's talk about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Man, I felt like a fortune teller the way I was targeting Obi Top. Oh, I'm sure you did. I did, man. I really did. I was like, ah, you know what? I knew there was something there. But look, uh, there was a rumor out there saying First that. First off your list, though. He, he was he was like the honorable mention on there. It was it was tough to get him in the top five, but he was like the five and a half <laughs> to six on the list. But anyway, uh, you know, we heard, who knows if it's true or not, that the Pacers and Knicks discussed a trade involving Obi Toppin. Now, we did not hear any specifics as to, is this draft capital? Is this players? Is this taking back, you know, uh, some salary for the Pacers? But I've been intrigued by Obi for, for quite some time. He's still a player that that's young, that I feel like has not 
flourished after being the eighth overall pick in the 2020 draft. Also the former national player of the year out of Dayton. So there is a lot to like, and the Pacers have done well on developing talent. Now, one thing before, before I, you know, turn it over to you, this was one thing I found very interesting. The Pacers have only extended one first round rookie draft pick of theirs. And uh, since, Charlie Ward in 1994, and that was R.J. Barrett. They have not developed young talent. So when you look at OB's stats, they're not going to blow you away. But then look at a guy like Aaron Neesmith, who's flourishing this year. And that's the type of situation I feel it could be for a buy low, even though Neesmith was not playing as much as OB is. There's a lot to like, but the offer is always, you know, what's really going to influence the decision. Do you like OB potentially being a pacer? Yeah, I think like we talked about, he fits the mold for what you want. Six foot nine, 220 pounds. Now look, he's not started a game at all this season, but he is shooting 35% from three, which is the best mm-hmm. of his career. So yep. you like to see that. I just feel like, and, and that's on more attempts as well, 3.9 attempts, almost four, compared to last year where he only took 2.3. So that has improved. I, I think that we can... Trust that he's become a better three-point shooter, but still need to see more of it. He's 24 years old. He does fit the time frame of this team. He was a little bit older coming into the draft, and I think that's why he ended up sliding to eight. I actually liked him coming out of the draft. And, you know, when he went to the Knicks, that's when Julius Randle took off as an all-NBA player, right? So he's played behind Julius Randle. He's playing for Coach Tibbs, and Coach Tibbs, to me, is not really a guy that's known for developing very much more no, of a win-now coach and doesn't really put up with nonsense where I, I I don't think Carlisle puts up with nonsense, but I think he just has a different approach with whatever kind of team he is coaching. So, you know, if you're not playing well, you're not going to get out there and, and get a chance to, you know, showcase your skill, even if you're playing bad because Carlisle wants to win games. And, you know, we've seen Jalen Smith get demoted from a starter to a bench player to eventually taking Isaiah Jackson out of the rotation and I think it's been better for the team, and that's what I think is important here. But Obi Toppin dealing with a knee injury, Fachi. And whenever I see guys that are known for their athleticism dealing with knee injuries, always makes me a little bit nervous. But I like the fact that he would be a six foot nine, two hundred and twenty power forward that you could plug in as a starter potentially, but probably off the bench to get things uh, get things going. I'm okay with this idea. I'm just curious what the value is for him and what it would cost the Pacers to make this trade happen. Now, I do have a couple of trade scenarios that I put together. Now, look, doesn't mean they're all fire, as the kids say these days, but, you know, there might be one one decent one in there. But I got the shovel on me, Alex, and I got a mountain of dirt next to me, and I've been digging up stats, and I'm looking at Obi right now. And just to, to go over last year, because last year he did get more playing time uh, down the stretch than he is getting right now. In the final five games of the regular season last year, he averaged 27.2 points per game on 55% shooting and 46% from three. That included a 35-point game and a 42-point game consecutively. He scored 19 or more in all five of those games. If you want to make it a little bit of a larger sample size, over the final 16 games of last year, he averaged 18.6 points per game on 57% shooting and 42% from three on five and a half attempts. So a pretty decent sample size when he was getting quality minutes. So right now, he's not getting quality minutes. 
He's actually only logged 20 minutes or more in just seven games this season. You know, we actually uh, talked about how Julius Randle is having a really solid year. So it makes things tough. But for Obi, you know, I, I do think he can be available because we talked about it. The Pacers, I mean, the Knicks have not extended many of their first round draft picks because they don't develop talent. Well, they're in a win now mode. He kind of feels like their ticket to being able to push forward to try and win right now. I have a couple of trade packages that I put together, but I first wanted to turn over to you to see if you had any. No, I didn't, but I'm in a group chat, and someone sent a video. It was a Knicks person who who did an entire YouTube video talking about the Pacers' interest, because that's what it's reported as, the Pacers' interest in Obi Toppin, and they had a conversation. I think Sean Devinney was the person that... Uh, was the reporter on that. And so there was two trade ideas thrown out here from this Knicks fan. And I think the first one, fans probably for the Pacers will hate, but I'll read it anyway. It was Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, and a 2023 first-round pick via Dallas for Buddy Heald. And the reason why I don't think the Pacers fans would like that, number one, nobody wants to give up Buddy Heald at this point. He's become a fan favorite. And I think nobody wants to take on Evan Fournier's contract either. Even though he's only got, I think, essentially two years, because I think one of the last years is like non-guaranteed or something like that. Yeah, it's a non-guaranteed fourth year, so it's just yeah. next year at $19 million yeah. guaranteed. Yeah, so I think some people would see that number and go, oh, no, I don't want Evan Fournier on this team. And and the, and the guy that made this trade, his logic was there's a guard jam at the uh, – there's a log jam at the guard position for the Pacers. Makes a lot of sense to, to get off one. He said Evan Fournier could still be a trade asset for him, but – because Buddy's played so well, they deserve a first-round pick in this deal. And coming from the, the Mavericks, who haven't played great this year, I mean, that pick could be semi-valuable. So I don't hate the trade, but at the same time, I would rather keep Buddy than than do this deal. Yeah, it's not the worst trade, but out of the three trades I put together, I didn't put Buddy in one of them just because at this <laughs> point, man, I, I do like what I'm seeing right now. And Fournier is such a knock off Buddy Heald. I mean, he's just like a bootleg water down Buddy that it's just like, you know, like... Ah. Bootleg water down Buddy. Yeah, I mean, that's he's Walmart Buddy right now. So it's just like, I I, I would like to keep uh, Buddy Heald. And if he is going to be traded, I, I do think that, you know, you could probably trade him in a deal that you know maybe doesn't involve necessarily taking back pretty much the same salary. I mean, their salary... Fournier being owed $19 million is pretty much exactly what Buddy's owed next year. So it's the same type of salary, but I feel like Buddy's just obviously a better shooter than Evan Fournier, mm -hmm. who can't even get in a lineup for the Knicks right now. No, I mean, obviously Buddy Hill would be um, a, a big-time acquisition for the Knicks. They could use some more shooting on that roster, in my opinion, and I think he'd be a perfect guy that could add the shooting for them, but I just don't know if I love his fit with them. I think that they don't play the style of play that benefits what Buddy does the most either. True. Mm -hmm. And Buddy needs to play in an up-tempo type of offense where it's kind of a free-flow thing that the Pacers are doing. And the Knicks are kind of known to slow it down with Tibbs. So I, I would hate to see him kind of having to sit out there and just play a spot-up shooter to what Brunson and Randall are doing because what he's doing here with, with Halliburton, Turner, and, and Coach Carlisle, I just think the fit for Buddy here is just way better for him and his career. So... Yeah, I don't love that. There was one more trade that this guy put out there, Fachi, and I'll throw this one out there to you, and we can talk about it real quick. This one, I think, was a little bit more interesting, but still not something I want to, like, 
would want to probably do this one, but it was Cam Reddish and Obi Toppin. For TJ McConnell, the Cavs 23 pick that we got from the Karis LeVert trade, and then the the Celtics 2023 pick that we got from the Brogdon trade. So two later first-round picks from this year's draft and TJ McConnell for Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish. The reason I'm out on this is because Cam Reddish just seems like he could be a headache. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent coming up, I believe. Maybe he's restricted. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Restricted. Restricted free agent. But it just you're, you're basically getting rid of one player and adding two. So now you have more belong, Jim. Do they fit? And do you really want to give up both picks and, and kind of take away some of your assets? To me, probably not. So I would personally do this if it was TJ McConnell on a pick for just Obi and Cam Reddish is not involved. But I think salary-wise, it does make sense that you would have to include somebody like Cam Reddish because the Knicks are over the cap. Yeah, I, I understand how the trade makes sense, but I'm not a fan of it because I just feel like the Cavs and Celtics pick – Yes. Is it really going to materialize into like an all-star level player? Chances are no. But I, I definitely feel like those assets could be valuable in the right type of package to, you know, whether you're moving up in the draft, whether you're making a, a deal for for another player, you're com- maybe combining those assets to go all in on someone. I feel like Cam Reddish right now has not proved enough to be saying, hey, well, one first round picks for him. Because think about this, it's half a season of Reddish before he hits restricted free agency. And the Pacers at that point are then in for another commitment in terms of re-signing him. So at at that point, sure, you do shed roughly, it's about $13.7 million guaranteed for McConnell after this year. But I'm out on the deal. I I don't want to give up two first round picks, McConnell for for OB and and Cam Reddish. So I'm going to say no. What if what if the one of those picks? Maybe we'll take the Cavs pick. We'll keep that one, but we'll give them the Boston pick. Let's say we threw in a second round pick that we have that we've gotten over the years. Would you do the trade then if you could turn that first into a second? It, it definitely makes it more appealing. It definitely makes it more appealing. It's one of those where if the front office did this, I'd be like, okay, all right, two first round picks in this situation, I, I think is a bit much because we've actually heard that and who knows if there's legs to it that at one point it was like the Knicks were looking for a second round pick or multiple second round picks for Cam Reddish yeah. and that was like that was about a month ago so I, I do think that the asking price for him is not a first round pick I think they'd love it but I yeah. don't think they need it so I, I want to avoid giving up two first round picks if these are the guys in exchange because these are kind of rolling the dice hoping these players can continue to grow when we could potentially you know, trade two first-round picks and a more established player for someone who is ready to go and established. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors here, and I think one of the big things, too, is, like, do the Knicks really want T.J. McConnell? Looking I don't know at if they their, do. Looking at their roster, they've already got, like, five point guards on the roster, and they only have two forwards, or two power forwards, I should say, and that's Obi Toppin and Julius Randle. So I'm assuming they would want some kind of forward back from the Pacers, so I could see where... Maybe like an O'Shea made more sense, or if the Pacers felt like Jalen Smith wasn't the fit right now, maybe they included Jalen Smith in a deal for Obi Toppin. But then at that point, how does o- how does Jalen Smith feel about that? You know, does that make the Pacers look bad because they promised him a starting position and then he took less money to be here and then you trade him? I mean, I, I don't think they would do that. So I think for the Knicks, the, the Pacers can be interested in Obi Toppin, but I think you're going to have to give some type of forward back to the Knicks to make it make sense. So if they don't have any plans on bringing O'Shea back, then maybe you include O'Shea in a trade like this. 
maybe O'Shea and McConnell for Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish, something like that. I mean, I could see that making more sense to me. But yeah, I just I just don't know, man. I, I think Obi Toppin, I'm curious to hear your trade ideas for him because the ones that were thrown out by this Knicks fan, I don't know if they make sense for either team. I got a couple, man. I got three trades. Now, the real one is which one do I start out with? Now, look, like I said, I am not saying that. Okay, I'm not saying that all three of these are great. So we'll start with maybe a little bit of a potentially a weaker one. So this one is Obi and Derek Rose for TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett, and either the Cavs or Celtics first round pick. Now, hear me out over here. Derek Rose next year has a team option of $15.6 million. So the Pacers can either trade him, they can cut him, whatever. So the, uh, basically it's OB and Derek Rose. The, uh, the Knicks get TJ McConnell. They get O'Shea, which to be honest, I think O'Shea fits what they're looking to do really well. Uh, and then they get a, another first round pick because the Knicks have been stockpiling assets. You know, they, they fell short in the Donovan Mitchell trade offer. I do think they're still going to be out there looking for that next disgruntled star so hear me out on the theory over here ob is eligible for rookie extension but he's also under contract for 6.8 million dollars next year the pacers would save 13.7 million dollars which is owed to mcconnell after this season uh and then obviously i don't see that if the pacers don't want to re-sign o'shea i think it you know for them it's like okay hey, we're not going to bring this guy back i think he can help the knicks win right now what's your thoughts on probably the weakest of my trade offers. I, I actually don't mind this trade, Fachi, to be honest with you. Bad. And I think part of the reason why I like it is because my biggest fear with trading McConnell is who's your third string point guard? Exactly. And, you know, we, we want Andrew Nimhart, I think a lot of fans do too, to take over as the second unit point guard. And I'm okay with that, but I think he still should start right now. I think he's doing a good job. I think McConnell's fine as a backup point guard. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it was a Cavs game. The, the offense kind of got, like, out of control with that second unit. Carlisle called a play for McConnell to run run a play, and it was actually for McConnell to get, like, a six-foot jumper, and he made it. And, I mean, that's kind of why I think Carlisle really values that. So, yeah, they could probably put Nimhart back there as that second point guard with the second unit and then not really play Rose, but use him as that third-string point guard if something happens, foul trouble, injuries, that kind of thing, and you feel pretty comfortable about it. So, yeah, I actually like this deal. Giving up one of those picks to me is not the end of the world. You get a forward in here that makes a lot of sense because of what he does and fit-wise and how he can play next to Halliburton with his athleticism, that kind of stuff. So, honestly, if this is your worst trade, I'm excited to see what your best trade is because I actually like this deal quite a bit. Here's the thing. Derek Rose, for a while, was completely out of the Knicks rotation. I mean, they went with a younger and more defensive approach. So, it's not like all of a sudden we have to play a Rose Big minutes. He's been an ultimate professional for the Knicks. And I, I know he's taken some guys under his wings. Deuce McBride, who's, who's my guy from West Virginia, has really complimented Derrick Rose as being a veteran leader. So Pacers still get that veteran leadership type back in a former MVP. So next trade over here, you know this man had to be involved in there somewhere. It's Evan Fournier. All right, so it's Evan Fournier and his one-year $19 million guaranteed for next year. But also remember, that following year, not a penny's guaranteed. So could be a good trade chip as a team could just cut him. So it's Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, and the Mavs 2023 first round pick for, you know, could get some, uh, you know, bad response for this for Chris Duarte and O'Shea Brissett. Now, mm-hmm. here's the thing the move clears off $19 million uh, for the Knicks. That's why they have interest in doing this. They avoid paying Obi, who they might not re sign. And 
they get rid of one of their many owed first round picks with this pick potentially being a top 20 pick. Duarte right over here. I, I feel like, unfortunately, we're starting to feel like Kenny fully blossom into who he's meant to be, uh, but also defensively fits what the Knicks are looking to do. O'Shea also fits what the Knicks are looking to do. So we, we can clean up a little bit of the rotation, a, a little bit over there, and we, we get a first round pick back. Um, Fournier, look, see what happens over there, but you also get Obi. So overall, it's it's not a home run deal. There could be some people that are really uh, disappointed of giving up on Chris Duarte, but this also hinges on if the Pacers plan on bringing back O'Shea or not. Yeah, I think I like the deal you mentioned earlier better than this one. For me okay. personally, I I just don't like the fact I don't like having another guard on the team, even though Evan Fournier probably won't play. I just you know fine veteran guy, but I I don't want to use that money that we have right now, the optionality to maybe keep us from making another trade that's possible. If there's mm-hmm. another bigger name out there that has more money that we could take back, but it gets interesting when you start talking about Chris Duarte, I, I would love to have a deep dive conversation about him later on. Maybe this week we can do it. We can do it because it's just not been a very good experience for Duarte this year. You know, you talked about that 30 point game. I was against- there. I was in yeah. the building. It was magical. Yeah. Magical. I mean, and then we were hoping he'd come back and play well against the Heat. They had like a four-day break, and then he got injured in like the first five minutes of the game, and he's come back, and he had a good game against the Celtics. And other than that, he's been MIA, Fachi. So he's a he's a player that right now is just trying to find his footing because we talked about it. This guard rotation is so heavy. Halliburton, McConnell, Nimhard as your point guards, your shooting guards. Buddy Hill, Benedict Mather, and Duarte, Aaron Neesmith. you got seven guys right there trying to compete for those minutes, and you've already got four guards starting, basically. And Duarte's coming off the bench playing playing the three or the two, whatever you want to call it. But at this point, O'Shea's played better than him. O'Shea deserves his minutes over him, and he's not getting them. So I think Duarte, it's more so trying to get him some open looks. He finally got like two or three good looks there in a row in the fourth quarter against the Clippers, and he didn't make any of them. Over but, five in the game. Yeah, he just – but they were like – he got three in a row, and it was like he was just struggling, and he's not been getting in any offensive rhythm. So I think his value is so depreciated right now and so low that if you do try to trade him now, it's not going to be where you want it to be. So I think you really need him to have like a great January if you if you feel like he's somebody that you do end up moving just because – I feel like he's kind of the odd man out of the rotation when it comes to the guards currently on the roster. And it's a good problem because you had so many guys play well, but it just stinks because the 2021 draft class for this Pacers team, we talked about it. They're just not living up right now to what we had hoped and heard about last season. It's just like Ijax out of the rotation. Duarte could be the odd man out. I don't think parting with him hurts as bad as some people think, but it's, it's really hard to trade a guy in a second year and give up on him that quickly because what we saw in the first year from him was really special. So that to me, it's just like, is this the trade I want to give up Duarte in? Yes or no, probably not. But I understand why people really like the idea of uh, an Obi top and Duarte swap, basically. Exactly. It's a swap. You're getting another first round pick, arguably too many first round picks for next year. You'll have four. But, you know, it's it's a deal that, look, I'm not going to be banging at the table saying we need to make this deal because this is a deal that only even comes up due to the current struggles of Chris Duarte. If, if Duarte turns it around, 
you know, maybe all of a sudden it's like, well, we can't give up on this guy real quick, but it, it's not a bad trade. It's not a great trade. But my final offer over here is Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, and Evan Fournier for TJ McConnell, Daniel Tice, and a first round pick. Now, maybe this is a deal that the Knicks don't even do, but here's what I'll tell you. Cam Reddish right now is out of the rotation. That man has not logged an appearance in about one month for the Knicks. Evan Fournier is out of the rotation. So you got Obi right over there. He's the only player that's really contributing right now. McConnell, yes, they do have other guards over there, but McConnell could help them out. And Daniel Tice could help them out down the stretch come playoff time. They yeah. do. They would have about four centers at that point. So it's not great, but they also get another first-round pick out of it. And it's the Celtics or the Cavs pick. So – at that point, it's not like you're giving up a, a great draft pick. You do save the $13.7 million from McConnell, and you get rid of Daniel Tice, who's owed you know, just over $9 million. Sure, you're taking on one year Fournier, but at this point, you know, Tice, we, we don't know if he'll ever contribute to this Pacers team. I know we've kicked the tires around, of could contribute later in the year, but we don't know that. Um, and at this point, you, you roll the dice on Cam, Cam Reddish, because – Maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it doesn't. But at this point, is it worth it in a potential rebuild to bring in two young players and also get rid of two vets and one of the first-round picks? Or is it too much? Is the juice not worth the squeeze? <laughs> yeah, see, I just don't love the Knicks roster. I mean, I like Obi Toppin. I don't know if I love him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you right there. Look, he has not done enough for to say, we need to get this guy. It's No, we've been rumored to have interest in this guy, what would be appropriate, you know, to offer or what's mm. too much? Yeah. I mean, so just to make sure I got the trade, right. It'd be McConnell, Tyus, and a pick. Yes. For Obi and Cam Reddish. And and you're taking on Fournier. And Evan Fournier. Okay. It's not, it's not terrible. Not at all. Okay. You're not giving up anybody long-term part of this Pacers team. Exactly. That's why you like it. I mean, Tyus, like you said, I think he could actually make a lot of sense in New York with Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. just because of what kind of player he is and being able to be a kind of a, a rotational big that they could have in the playoffs. Yeah, it makes sense. McConnell, I think he could actually be a Tibbs guy. I think Tibbs would like McConnell quite a bit. I think so. So I could see them being interested in that. But, you know, Cam Reddish, like you said, he's not getting his value is pretty low right now. Same with mm-hmm. Fournier. He's got a negative value. And then Obi Toppin. I would just like to know what other teams think about Obi Toppin, what his value is, because – is he worth a first-round pick? I'm sure that they're not going to give think, him up for nothing, right? No, no. <laughs> he was eighth overall pick in 2020, not too long ago. So that, to me, is why I'm just like, okay, I would probably do this deal if it was on the table and it was given to us, you know, um, or if we offered that offered that trade, I would probably hope the Knicks take it and believe the Knicks should take that deal. But at the same time, I still like the idea of your first trade that you mentioned because we still have that question at backup or third string point guard on any of the other deals. And that's why I really like maybe trying to get somebody like Derrick Rose or Emmanuel quickly or somebody that can play the backup uh, point guard or third string point guard and let Nimhard be the backup with this team. Because I, I think McConnell, as much as people have hated on him all year, still plays a valuable role to this team on and off the court specifically off the court because of his leadership and the guys respect him. So if you're going to be moving him in any deal, I think you still need to find some help at the, at the point guard position. And that's that why that's why to me, I think the Derrick Rose trade makes the most sense 
And I'm glad you threw that one out there because that's kind of what I was thinking when I looked at their roster. I said, if you could get Derek Rose back, I think this would be a deal that makes more sense. But I'm still just not in love with Obi Toppin overall as the guy that I want to go out and get. But if they took a flyer on him, I would be excited about it. So it's I'm, I'm just kind of 50-50 right now. Hey, there's a reason he was on the honorable mention list and not the yeah. main top five of the week when we did this because there I am intrigued, but I'm not in love with him. So I, I like what the Pacers have done in, in terms of, hey, look, they've had five most improved player of the year, you know, uh, award winners. So I, I feel like they could do it again. Is he going to be the next one? No, but Tyrese Halliburton could be. So it just shows that I trust our player development more than I trust other teams like the New York Knicks that don't even extend their own rookies. But it, it's someone that I'm not I'm not at the point of giving up too much. I think the Pacers are in a great spot of they have assets to offer, but we don't need to make this deal. And that's the best part. And one of the big things is the tones change completely where, just like I mentioned before, Buddy isn't involved in any of these deals because I do think that if you're to bring on Evan Fournier, you could still – potentially trade buddy and still play the same type of style of getting more three pointers up. But you could also look to then flip Evan Fournier. If you yeah. keep buddy in the off season, I think that Fournier having on that expiring deal does become valuable. So it, it, it still continues to give the Pacers options, but the Derek Rose deal, I think checks more boxes for this Pacers team. Yeah, for sure. So I think we talked enough about Obi Toppin and the potential trades there. I'm sure we'll hear more and more rumors as we get closer to the trade deadline. And the Pacers, having all that cap space, will make them an interesting team. And once again, we're going to have to monitor what the Pacers and Miles Turner decide to do, if they decide to come to an agreement or not, as well as the Christy Duarte situation. Because if it doesn't get any better, Fachi, I don't know how they keep him long term. And I think that's something just to keep an eye on. Like, do they try to flip him and kind of use him as a positive asset? Because he's on that rookie rookie deal, he can shoot the ball well. Would a team be interested in taking a flyer on him, just knowing that their guard rotation's too heavy? And and could that maybe get you a nicer package back? I saw uh, our, our good friend S, who who covers the Raptors, uh, he covers the NBA, but he, he's from Canada, and he was just saying like the Pacers have a lot of guards, they should share some. <laughs> I was like, Raptors got a lot of wings. Let's make it yeah, deal, right? Yep. <laughs> so that's where we're at. We got a lot of good guards on this team. We have too many good guards, and I think unfortunately that's kind of what's been the problem here with Chris Duarte not just getting into a not getting into a rhythm. So a uh, lot of lot of fun stuff to talk about. I mean, there's so many different avenues we could talk about with this team right now because they're playing well and because of the interested in uh, adding players to this team. I think there's just a lot of fun rats to go. But Fachi, go ahead and tell the people where they can find us at on social media for the first time in 2023. Absolutely. You could find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers Podcast. If you aren't already subscribed, please subscribe to our podcast there. We're gonna have Try to do once a week on YouTube going forward with uh, with an episode there from Setting the Pace. So if you prefer to watch us or prefer to listen to us on YouTube, you can check it out over there. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're glad it's a new year, it's 2023, in the face of your franchise is Tyrese Halliburton, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace.
pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping.